You are listening to the Ebony Covering Black America Podcast Network, presented by Walmart. Hey, all you girls, boys, and non-binaries out there. It's that time of the year again, when Coast 103.5 and K-Love play Christmas tunes 24-7. Cyber Monday sales become Cyber November and Cyber December sales, and Facebook and Twitter threads blow up with debates about whether or not Die Hard is really a Christmas movie. By the way, it is. Anyone who tells you otherwise is trash. Yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. It's Christmas time, a time for reconnecting with old friends and family and going to Christmas parties, which are now Zoom parties because, well, the Omicron, Delta, Sigma, whatever coronavirus variant that we're on. Unless, of course, you're in Florida where there's no such thing as a virus and you just go about your day as normal. It's Christmas time. The time for festive music, colorful lights and decorations, sales, parades, and fights in parking lots at shopping malls over parking spaces. It's Christmas time. When your favorite Christmas classics play around the clock on TV Land and Nickelodeon 24-7, all the while Netflix is filling your feed with dozens of stupid-looking Gen Z and millennial-inspired Christmas movies you ain't never heard of, and five minutes into watching, you know for damn sure you're not going to finish watching. Imagine you're in New York, and it's Christmas. Abby, you and Harper have a perfect relationship. I have nicknamed her Lazy the Elf because she appears never to work. You lied about who you are. Kelly, I had no idea who I was. Uh, anyway, where was I? Yes, it's Christmas time. The only religious holiday where you don't actually have to believe in the subject of the holiday to celebrate it. I imagine somewhere out in the multiverse there is another Earth where Hanukkah is the big commercial holiday of the year and Santa Claus has long sight locks and a big round black hat. If you sense a tinge of sarcasm and cynicism in my voice, you would be correct. Because lately, during Christmas, I felt a lot like Charlie Brown. Actually, I frequently feel like Charlie Brown on the show, but that's a whole different issue. In this case, I'm talking about Charlie Brown as he felt in A Charlie Brown Christmas, one of the definitive classics of the season. If you recall, Charlie Brown was feeling like everyone was getting Christmas wrong. Find the true meaning of Christmas when money, 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 spectacular, super colossal, neighborhood Christmas lights and display contest. Oh no! My own dog gone commercial. I can't stand it. Charlie Brown does his best to find the true meaning of Christmas. And finally, at the end of the show, it's Linus who delivers the goods during a rehearsal for their school's Christmas pageant. Isn't there anyone who knows what Christmas is all about? True, Charlie Brown. I can tell you what Christmas is all about. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. I remember watching this as an adult at the height of my Christian faith and thinking, wow, I can't believe they'd actually have that on the show. 
I thought it was so cool that a major television special had such an overtly and in-your-face Christian message. The irony in all this is that the reason I feel like Charlie Brown is indeed because I'm searching for the real meaning of Christmas. But the doubt I'm feeling isn't because of the rampant commercialism. It's actually because I think Linus got it wrong. I'm not sure anymore that that's the real meaning of Christmas. At least for me, anyway. Today on the show, I search for my personal meaning of Christmas. So many feelings around Christmas. So many feelings. Lots of feels. And uh, it turns out that Yolanda herself has her own complicated history with the holiday. I had an opportunity to speak with my two co-hosts about what they thought about Christmas. I wanted to find out from you two uh, how Christmas has changed for you over the years. Like, is it still kind of hold the same magic as it did earlier? Is it overrated? Because one of the things I'm exploring is just how it's changed for me. So I was curious to know how it's changed for you. Why don't you break down how it's who, changed for you? Who do you, you? When you listen to the episode, you'll hear. Oh, well, I want to know. I want to know. Well, no, you don't need to color your answer. I'm just saying it's relative. I'm just curious to what he thinks. I'm going to go first. I'm going to go first since. Yeah. (laughs) Somebody can't answer a question with so much for not stepping over people's how it's going to go. So much answering the question. I think it's a really great question for me personally. Oh, cool. JD will probably co-sign that for many years. I've been a very grinchy Christmas person. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Extremely. Yes. But let me answer my own question. I did say you would co-sign. So that's his co-sign that mm-hmm. I was very grinchy. And I think the reason I was grinchy, well, it's multi-layered. So Christmas has been sold to us, which is why I'm I'm still I think I'm still a Christmas Grinch at heart. Um, But in this country, I think it's been sold to us. And I think many of us um, see it as like, oh, like we have this expectation of what's supposed to happen based upon, I think, mainstream media. And um, also, I think at a certain point, I don't know when it was, maybe the 80s. Maybe it's always been the case. Maybe the 80s, the 90s, whatever. My biggest problem with Christmas is I feel like Christmas is entirely about commercialization. It's been completely commercialized. I fucking hate it. I don't like any of that. Christmas has nothing to do with what Christmas is about at all. This whole Christmas thing has nothing whatsoever to do with what Christmas is for, mm-hmm. about, unless you are a devout Christian mm-hmm. and spend your time focusing on what Christ- what Christmas is supposed to be. And even that is based on a bunch of stuff that Christians don't understand. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's rooted in a bunch of pagan rituals. Mm-hmm. A lot of it is, yeah. I have had a terrible association with Christmas because I'm a child of divorce my parents divorced when I was very young, but prior to me going to college, her dad Christmas, climbed. Hold on, stop it. He was gonna make a stupid <laughs> gremlins joke because we just showed our children gremlins. 
We're not going to do you that. Gotta we're, let not me make that joke. we're not going to interrupt my thing. Oh man, I had it going about dad getting killed in this. And that's how she knew there's no Santa Claus. So, so my, <laughs> so <laughs> we can talk about grandmas after. So my Christmas years didn't match up to the mainstream media spoon fed of like oh christmas and families together and blah 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 because my parents were divorced and so i was separating from a very young age i was separating myself between my two parents at christmas time and whatever that meant and my fought my i grew up in houston texas my mother's family was in houston because that's where she grew up my father's family was in louisiana because that's where he grew up and so depending upon which Christmas it was when I was a child, I was, you know, I might go to Louisiana and see my dad's family during Christmas, whatever. But that would mean because my parents were divorced, I was not with both of my parents at Christmas, which bummed me out as a child, right? So that sucked. And then I grew up and I moved away to go to college. I came to California from Texas to go to college. So then Christmas time would mean I'd be traveling back home to Houston, Texas, but was would I be spending time with my mom? Would I be spending time with my dad? Would I be spending time with my family in Louisiana? Would I be spending time with my family in Houston? It was a whole big conflict for me that was very not fun. And so I hated Christmas. And on top of it, you have this commercialization thing. So I'm like, this is just all it represented to me was a bunch of pressure and then I became an adult and then it was like, oh, I need to get Christmas presents off. If I, I'm a failure, if I haven't, if I, even if I'm not traveling, if I haven't gotten Christmas presents off to all the people, whatever, Christmas is about presents. <laughs> Christmas is about the gifts and all this shit. And I was never on time. I was always a failure in my mind. This is all me putting this thing on myself of my failure of Christmas. But it was all about Christmas because, again, Christmas is not about what Christmas is about. And I would always be like, this sucks. This is complete capitalism, commercialization. It has nothing to do with Jesus being born. I hate it. And so I've hated it and I've been super grinchy about it. And, you know, I don't talk a lot very often about my children, but it was not until my children came that I actually put an effort or like tried to make Christmas more full personally because I basically was like, fuck Christmas because it's not really what it's about anyway. So who cares? And I wanted to make it special for my children. And so I tried to adjust my attitude about it. I think JD's experience with Christmas is different than mine. And so me being so grinchy, he was like, oh, you have such a bad attitude. <laughs> you know, so. so I'll let him say things about Christmas. When we come back, we'll find out what Christmas means to JD. hear adults complaining about Christmas. Oh, Christmas is just for kids. But they're the ones that are always depressed. They're the ones drinking. They have the jacked up histories. They're the ones that are like, no, it, it could just be a fun seasonal time for everybody to get together, blow some steam off, recoup, 
re, you know, recalibrate themselves, share love with their families and get together and just take a little break and decompress. But I just always find it funny when the adults, the adults in the room are the ones ranting and raving, oh, I got to get this for my kids. I got to do this. I got to. And it's like, you know, kids aren't even tripping off that. It's, I, I feel like, I mean, kids are sure they always want presents. They want, you know, ask Santa for this, ask for Santa for that. And they want to get the, the latest Xbox or whatever toy they want that they may or may not be able to get. But it's really the adults to me that I always trip off of because they're the ones that are obviously fronting and affected by the season. Right. And so I always just trip off that like, wow. You yeah, know? but they have the pressure. They want to wow. deliver. They want to they want to realize the dream, especially for their children. I know. They want to like. So so what I'm like saying. That. So what I'm saying to create stress that that. Yeah. And that's I'm not denying that at all. That's my point. A lot of adults have get stressed out. And so I just try to remind myself during the holiday season not to stress out. Because, and for me, the reasons you guys, you said, Yolanda, I don't know what Rhonda said specifically, but what you said, yo, about, it's, you know, if you're talking just about Christmas, it's about, quote unquote, birthday, even though his, that's a whole yes. other story. But, yes. but, you know, but that's the, that but, is the story, actually. <laughs> but, but is it really? <laughs> but nobody I mean, talks about it. It is, but the thing is this. Why it, we have Christmas at all? But it, well, because it's a holiday. We could just have an end of year celebration. I guess we're in the dialogue part Christian. now. I guess we're in the dialogue part now. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry, <laughs> no, no, we could talk. I'm, I'm good. Ahead. I'm pretty much said what I had to say, but it's almost more like a Thanksgiving for me. I'm not a, a practicing Christian. When I was younger, I used to be more into the whole vibe of it's about Christ and Christ's birthday. And I still feel that. And I, you know, and I have mad respect for people who feel that way. I wouldn't say that you don't practice Christianity. I would say that you don't subscribe to certain Christians say you need to do to be a Christian. Well, when I when I say I don't practice it, I'm just saying, let me rephrase it. I don't routinely just the rituals of Christianity of going right. to church every yes. Sunday, to, you know, you know, uh, proselytizing to people trying to convert. To, I don't do all that stuff. So that I mean, when I say I'm not practicing. I would say the vast majority of Americans and probably Westerners, but I'm just going to leave it to Americans right now, celebrate this thing they call Christmas. And there's this whole hoo-ha and all this stuff that ends up happening. They could change it to turn it into something else because they are not actually celebrating what the holiday is about. The vat, I would say, I would be willing to bet 65% of the people are not thinking about Jesus or anything about Jesus. Absolutely. Here's the thing. You look at the numbers of people who claim like whatever of like, oh, yes, I'm Christian, whatever. They might say it, that they're Christian. But, and this has been studies. I've seen studies. I've read studies about who actually goes to church now. It's right. very diminishing. For sure. Very diminishing. Yep. yep. There's not a lot of people who regularly, quote unquote, practice. And by that, I mean like go to church, read the Bible, attend, you know, Bible study, whatever the case go may to be. Mass, they whatever. don't even do anything. Yeah. They just claim themselves Christian, right? Yeah. They're cultural Christians. Small yeah. number. And then when it comes to Christian, I mean, sorry, Christmas, there is no acknowledgement about Jesus. In Christmas, it's all about the Christmas tree and the lights and the decorations 
and the gifts pagan, and everything. Pagan, Nobody pagan. mentions Jesus Christ when they talk about Christmas. It is completely commercialized. You got car commercials on, people giving people damn car for and diamond rings and, and all this dogs. bullshit. They're not teaching their children about Christ. We have taught our, I mean, we, we've talked a little bit about Christ, but we don't talk about that stuff as much as this guy's talking about whatever he's talking about. You know, we have had some discussions, but we're not having a real in-depth thing about what is Christmas. And none of these people are, and that is not what Christmas is about in this country. To really appreciate my Christmas quandary, you have to understand that I've gone through about four phases of belief when it comes to the Yuletide season. Phase number one, Santa Claus. This is by far the time when Christmas is most special and most magical. It never occurs to you that Santa just happens to be at every mall and every street corner. It never even occurs to you how the hell he gets into your apartment when you don't have a chimney or how he's able to cover the entire world in one night. He's Santa. He just makes it happen. Phase two is the there is no more Santa Claus phase. Now, I honestly don't remember the time I stopped believing in Santa Claus. I don't remember how it hit me or even how old I was. The memory I have of no longer believing in Santa that is the most strong was when my eight-year-old stepdaughter recognized my handwriting on the note from Santa that I left her with cookies the first year I was her dad. I was like, great, I'm not her dad for more than four months even, and I've crushed her belief in Santa Claus. Phase three, Jesus is the reason for the season. As I shared back in episode two, I was raised by a Southern Baptist and sometimes the Episcopal mama, who raised her two little boys to be God-fearing Christians. And we would, of course, go to the occasional Christmas church service. But I never really associated Christmas as a religious holiday until my late 20s. I started to go to church again as an adult. It was a time when my faith became my own and not just what was imparted on me as a child. In many ways, this period of my life was more special and dare I say, even more magical than when I believed in Santa Claus. I still had all the warm fuzzies around the traditional Christmas activities, the shopping, the gift giving, the party going, and of course, watching a Christmas story for the umpteenth time. But now I had this added dimension. The Christmas services had more meaning. The religious-themed Christmas carols would move me emotionally. Don't let me hear Oh Holy Night by someone like Mariah, Whitney, or Celine. I'd immediately start tearing up. <laughs> Hands down, the best rendition of that song ever. As a black man, and I think this is true for a lot of black folk who are deeply religious, there's a line from that carol that truly rings home. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. Now, there's no way you can be a member of any marginalized or oppressed community and not be moved and inspired by that. It is a hope that is the center of the Christian faith. But in these past few years, 
I've sadly lost that hope. I've made it known since episode one that this show is both an exploration of my reconnection with black people, but also a journey through the deconstruction of my Christian faith. That's just a fancy way of saying I'm in a phase of life where what and how I believe is evolving. Quote unquote truths I once believed I no longer do, or I'm just not that sure anymore. As I've alluded to, a big part of my deconstruction has come as a result of seeing the evangelical church in America's response to racial injustice, starting with their full-throated support of Donald Trump. But truth be told, I would say my deconstruction started years before Trump became president. I think it's safe to say it started way back in 2011, when my then-wife was hit by a car. All the challenges we dealt with as a result of her injuries started to wear my faith. Then later, as she and I went through marital challenges, much of what we dealt with was exacerbated by the church. I'm so thankful that she and I were able to have an amicable divorce and have a post-marriage relationship where we still support and care for one another. For a while there, I wasn't so sure that would be the case. Donald Trump and all the craziness in the church surrounding him just expedited the evolution of my faith. Part of that evolution included doing deeper dives into the history and beliefs I had. Prior to this, I already was a very intellectual Christian. I'd never been one to believe the earth was only 6,000 years old or that evolution didn't exist. I was what I like to refer to as a thinking man's Christian. I believed then, and still believe now, that having faith in God does not mean you have to check your intelligence at the door. In fact, some of the most devout Christians you'll find are scientists and other intellectuals. In many ways, their understanding of science just reinforces their belief in God. But even as intellectual as I was, there were still those topics that I was, for lack of a better word, afraid to look too deeply into, afraid of what I'd find, afraid that the answers to those questions I had would completely shudder my faith and that all come crashing down like a Django tower. But we should never be afraid of truth. When we come back from the break, we'll look at some truths and myths about Christmas, some which I already knew, but some which were surprising even to me. One of the most popular Christmas carols is, Do You Hear What I Hear? One of my favorite versions is by Whitney Houston and Pentatonix. Uh, it's so moving and beautiful and really communicates the hope of Christmas. It's such a beautiful thing that the king in the story is inspired by the baby Jesus bringing goodness and light. Every time I get to this part of the song, it drives me crazy because according to the gospel account, the king actually wanted Jesus dead. Matthew 2 verse 16 reads, When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Like, who the hell wrote this song? And why has no one brought up this glaring mistake? Am I alone here? Am I just being too persnickety again? Now, here's the irony. The whole story in the Gospels about the king wanting young Jesus dead is probably itself not true. This is one of the key points of Jesus' birth account in the book of Matthew. 
that in fear of a prophecy of a coming king, the current king, Herod the Great, ordered this massacre. But there are no records of antiquity that reference any point that such a decree was ever given. The Wikipedia entry for the story states, A majority of Herod biographers, and probably a majority of biblical scholars, hold the event to be myth, legend, or folklore inspired by Herod's reputation. It is found in no other gospel, nor in the surviving works of Nicholas of Damascus, who was a personal friend of Herod the Great. And Josephus makes no mention of it in the Antiquities of the Jews, despite recording many of Herod's misdeeds, including the murder of three of his own sons. Unquote. Now, it's largely believed by scholars that Matthew added this as an allusion to the ancient story of Pharaoh ordering the murder of young boys, thereby painting Jesus as a Moses-like figure. In the four-plus decades in which I went to church and heard this story, not once was it ever mentioned the story was possibly legendary. Nada. Nunca tiempo. And that is just the first of a few myths about Christmas that we need to wrestle with, people. The second, and perhaps a lot less problematic for some people, is that Jesus was white. Now, I know that if you ask most people if Jesus was white, regardless of their political bent or religious epistemology, assuming they are intellectually honest, they'll say no. Some of them may say no, but they'll still say no. They would have to admit that a man born in the Middle East at that time would not have long blonde hair and blue eyes. Yet every single week, millions of people walk into churches, and in some cases their homes, where there is that picture of white Jesus. It's so ubiquitous, I don't even have to describe it. You know exactly which one I'm talking about. Even my Jamaican aunt had that picture in her house. Can you imagine what the world, hell, what America would be like if millions of little white boys and girls grew up in churches where a realistic rendition of their Lord and Savior greeted them in church every Sunday or at home every time they walked through their front door? Myth number three, that December 25th was Jesus' birthday. This is another one of those aspects of Christmas that I think most educated adults know is not true. There are a few possible origins for this date being picked, but by far the most popular is its adoption during the early 4th century under the Emperor Constantine as a way to appeal to those pagan Roman citizens who celebrated Saturnalia on the 25th, a date that falls shortly after the winter solstice. And as many of you probably know, much of the Christmas decor and imagery of holly branches and Christmas trees are related to old Druid worship. Myth number four, that there were wise men and shepherds all gathered around the baby Jesus the night he was born. By all accounts, if you believe what's actually in the Bible, Jesus was most likely around two years old when the wise men found him. That's why the king targeted boys two years and younger. And last, and most importantly, myth number five, that Christmas has always been, for lack of a better word, a Christian holiday. Let me explain. Earlier I mentioned Saturnalia. I only last year learned the holiday's connection to that celebration after watching the Christmas episode of Adam Ruins Everything. In December, Romans celebrated a holiday called Saturnalia to mark the end of the harvest. It was a wild party involving gambling, singing, and even cross-dressing. This is a popular true TV series where investigative comedian Adam Conover reveals little-known truths and facts about long-held beliefs, and thereby debunking said beliefs. And in the popular Christmas episode, Adam dropped some bombshells about Christmas that even blew me away at the time. But it certainly wasn't very Christian, which is why when Puritans came to America, they decided Christmas had no place in a Christian nation and banned it. What? 
Christmas was illegal? Yep. In some ways, I gotta give respect to the Puritans. Their beef with Christmas was precisely because of all the issues that I'm talking about. To them, it was very un-Christian. And frankly, it's this aspect of the Christian tradition that, believe it or not, emphasizes more of the hypocrisy I often see in the evangelical church in America. Case in point, a huge campaign among the evangelical right has been an attack on critical race theory. So much so that the Southern Baptist Convention, probably the largest denomination in the country, and probably steeped the most in history of racism, created a formal statement against CRT. Albert Moeller, the president of the SBC last year, wrote this. We stand together in stating that we believe that advocating critical race theory or intersectionality is incompatible with the Baptist faith and message, and that such advocacy has no rightful place within an SBC seminary. Blah, 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 blah. We are not to be guided by secular ideologies, but by the word of God alone and in love of Christ. Unquote. I would bet you a million dollars most, if not all, of the members of the SBC paint Easter eggs and buy tons of chocolate candy for their little ones. I bet you that they put up Christmas trees and hang wreaths and decorate their shelves with garland and holly. So when it suits members of the SBC, e.g. festive holidays and political expediency, being guided by or adhering to secular ideologies is totally fine. As I wander, sometimes aimlessly, in this desert of disillusionment, I have sought the wisdom and counsel of men and women who have either walked a similar path or have some informed knowledge that gives me perspective. One fellow traveler along this road of deconstruction is the popular podcaster A. Ron Hubbard. Many of you are probably already familiar with his Ball It Move podcast that he does with his buddy Jim. A. Ron was also on our Squid Game episode back on episode 3. Having been a fan and listener of his for almost a decade, I was familiar with his own personal faith journey. Mom was a Sunday school teacher in a Methodist church. And when I was between five and six, my great grandmother died and he, she was really close to my mother. Sorry, I'm, I'm really going way back. And my mom had a crisis of faith over it. Like, uh, cause I, I don't, I don't know what the deal at the small town church was, but I guess she went, uh, cause I guess grandma, my great grandma had had a falling out at the church and hadn't been to services in like decades. And she asked the minister, it's like, you know, is, you know, is grandma cool? It's like, she cool with God. And this guy couldn't give her a straight answer. It's like, well, you know, she has, and, and, <laughs> and, and who can even say, and instead of being like, yeah, your grandma's in heaven. So she like, like went in this deep depression for like a year. And then they wow. brought her out as a little old lady knocking on her door with a copy of the Bible and could tell her exactly where grandma, great grandma was, you know, like show her from the scriptures. And that lady was a Jehovah's witness. And my mom converted about a year later. And for the rest of my, like, I have dim memories of celebrating Christmas and doing like Halloween from like the time I was five or six. But like when I was six years old, that was, I, I do remember that was the last Christmas because mom was like starting to convert and she was uncomfortable with it. So my, my mom and my dad worked out the compromise that they would put up a tree, but they, and they would do presents, but they wouldn't call it Christmas. And then the year after that, there was no more Christmas. Um, Jehovah's Witnesses, yeah, I grew up as a Jehovah's Witness. They don't celebrate Christmas holidays that they consider to be influenced by pagan religion, like Christmas, you know, 
Uh, if you know anything about Christmas, you know that it's a fusion mm-hmm. of, yes, the celebration of Jesus' birth, but also Saturnalia, mm-hmm. the Roman, you got the solstice, you got, you know, all that stuff. Easter, you know, that's that's all screwed up in pagan fertility worship, and that's why you got their bunnies and the ducks and all kinds of yeah and halloween that's just devil worship yeah. so that's straight that's just that's just right out and fourth of july is nationalism and 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 putting and the no state birthdays, above god right? no birthdays it's no another birthdays. thing here's a question so you got the act or did you actually leave how did how did that go down so i was married to a witness woman and we had had a 18 month child when like my crisis of faith came to a head where i'm like and he was actually uh don't tell him but he was one of the instigators um because like i kept on you know i rocked this kid at night because i i'd had like some some, like when i was like 26 to 28 i had some pretty profound like oh this is not like the capital t truth that i thought it was i've done some independent research but i really love the people i didn't think it was a bad way to live you know i was married i never really felt this need to sow my wild oats i was never tempted to stray from my relationship i never was I, i wasn't a big drinker you know i didn't smoke I uh, didn't do drugs. So I'm like, you know, I can just sit on these doubts. Right. And like, you know, trust in Jehovah, they say, trust in Jehovah, he'll make it all. So I was just, I was just like, well, I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to go to the meetings. And, you know, I, I definitely took a step back because I used to be really zealous. I used to be what they called a pioneer. These people, th- that, that class of witness put in a- about a hundred hours a month in the pre- preaching work. So that's like a, almost a full-time job on top of my other job. So I was like, really as a deacon, uh, what what you call a deacon, a ministerial servant, and the witnesses? I was pretty committed, and so I started taking steps back. But I still was in because I didn't, you know, I, I I didn't, I wasn't, I wasn't committed enough to like disassociate myself and just essentially excommunicate myself. Um, but like, you know, I I loved my son, and I was rocking him to sleep at night. I'd just be like, "Am I really going to put you in the same cage that I'm in?" You know. Yeah because I never had an alternative growing like it was my mom's way or like the highway and like uh and 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 I decided that like this was be so I started being real confrontational with my wife at the time and be like hey we got to get to the bottom of this you know we got need answers for this and if it, you know we never saw eye to eye on that so to get my son a chance of a better life than I had, I, we, I decided to get divorced. Witnesses do not consider legal divorce scriptural uh, to their mind, uh, the only way to dissolve the marriage is death or the other person cheating. So what happened is they waited until I started dating other women and then they they excommunicated me for, I don't know, adultery by inference, I guess. So then is it that you don't believe in him or it or her or whatever? Yeah, I don't. I guess I don't have an active belief in God. I'm mm-hmm. not. I, th- I still think I'm spiritual. I'm certainly, I feel like I'm more spiritual than like my co-host Jim, mm-hmm. uh, more open to like, you know, um, experiences that can't strictly be explained. Right. But I also like, that's a big thing to me. Like, you know, there's a, a, a God, an active God that wants me to live a certain way. Like that's, that's, that's a pretty bold claim. And I need some, a, a lot of, a lot of proof and, and more than just, you know, cause that's the other thing is like, I have studied the Bible. Like I'm one of them Christians that have read the Bible straight through a couple of times. Yeah. I'm the same and, way. And yeah. And like, that's, oh man, it's, it's probably an eternal frustration with you too. The fact that like the loud, loudest Christians among us are the least Christ-like and probably read the Bible the least and have zero doubt in their mind that they're right. Like that's like, whereas I've always been racked with doubt and not sure and my whole life, so.
as of today, May 12, 2021, the city of Tulsa, state of Oklahoma, the United States of America, has never investigated the 1921 Tulsa Race Massacre. That's a clip from a Vice documentary short about Dr. Robert Turner. Dr. Turner is a pastor from an AME church in Tulsa, Oklahoma, where every Wednesday he'd go out and preach about the importance of reparations for the Tulsa massacre of Black Wall Street, slavery, and Jim Crow. Tulsa race riot. God called me to speak and have them recognize it for what it is. It is a massacre. Yolanda peeped me to this documentary, and when I saw it, I knew I had to get this brother on the show. With regards to my personal issues of faith and deconstruction, Dr. Turner shared this. Just about how to deconstruct without even using like evangelism speak, which is what the church is really good at. That's that's what we, 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 we know how to come get you. Now, after we get you, we don't know what to do with you, but sometimes but we, 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 we specialize in going to get people. Um, and, and, and so, but so that's a great, 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 great clarifier for my response. But no, I would just say in that process, not even sounding preaching, but I, I will use a colloquial term in our community that you probably have heard by now or not. We'll but, as you as you jettison uh, some of your previous beliefs to not throw the baby out with the bathwater. I haven't heard that one. Yes. You have? Yes. <laughs> oh, good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah all right. Look at God. Look at God. <laughs> so, yeah, that's right. So we also say another phrase, you probably heard this hopefully by now, um, you know, learn how to chew the meat and spit out the bones. Yeah. I say all that to say this. The body of Christ, um, Christians, as we like to call ourselves, and Christians, Really, that term, that category rises above denominations. I mean, just breaking down at the root level, I mean, it just describes somebody that is Christ-like, Christian. It doesn't say you are Methodist or Baptist or Catholic or Protestant. It just says you are somebody that's trying to be Christ-like. They don't have to say you're a member of a church, but if you're trying to be like Jesus Christ, then you are Christian. You know, the I. A-N at the end of a word describes, you know, like that person. And so you can definitely be considered a Christian and have no church membership. Hmm. Now, some of my friends may disagree with that because mm -hmm. they say you ought to have somebody that you believe to. And I do feel that, the and the Bible does teach, you know, how you ought to be fellowshipping one with another. Right. But in 2021, there are so many ways of fellowshipping, Mr. Dawson. It's ridiculous, right? Right. And so mm -hmm. don't allow for religion to replace or represent relationship mm. you know some people have a very are very religious very religious but don't have any relationship with the right. person they claim they believe they are not christ-like they're church-like you got a lot of churchians <laughs> and not a lot of christians it's so far removed from the basic teachings that, that that the church was about up until it became established with power with position also you know, because pride and and, and arrogance, mm -hmm. and 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 there's no no check on people who don't have any accountability. As you're going through whatever stage you're going through, keep the first things first. As I wrestle with these various questions about what I do and don't believe, one source that has been very cathartic for me is the You Have Permission podcast hosted and produced by a friend of mine by the name of Dan Koch. 
On this show, Dan interviews theologians, philosophers, scientists, and scholars about various aspects of the Christian faith that go against the more traditional. This year's Christmas episode is about the virgin birth, and on it, Dan interviews seminary professor and author Kyle Roberts, author of the book, A Complicated Pregnancy, Whether Mary Was a Virgin and Why It Matters. Dan and Kyle go deep into the various Bible accounts of the birth, the science behind DNA, and whether Jesus can be fully God and fully man if he doesn't have male DNA. And at one point, Kyle says something that I think captures the essence and foundation for a lot of Christians who struggle with keeping their faith, while at the same time believing in science and truth. And it speaks directly to this issue of what we believe about the biblical accounts of Jesus' birth. Something happened. And of course, Jesus of Nazareth happened, lived, in my view. Right. And uh, is, is a believable, important, authoritative figure for my own faith. And uh, But what we're talking about is this origin story. So in the same way that many Christians are very comfortable reading Genesis 1, 2, and 3 through the lens of myth as the right. origin story of everything, what I'm suggesting is maybe we should also be comfortable reading the origin story of Jesus through a kind of complicated lens as well. At the top of the episode, I talked about Christmas being a time to watch your favorite Christmas classics 24-7. And one of my family's favorite was Dr. Seuss's The Grinch That Stole Christmas, the live-action retelling of the classic animated short by Dr. Seuss, directed by Ron Howard and starring Jim Carrey. A running theme in that film was little Cindy Lou Who, the protagonist, looking for the true meaning of Christmas among all the superfluous commercialism. I'd be lying if I said for the past few years I haven't felt like little Cindy Lou Who, staring out my window, remembering what Christmas used to be like for me, and wondering if I'd ever captured that magic again. But I recently had a conversation with someone who gave me hope and perspective. Her name is Victoria Adams. She and I are part of the You Have Permission podcast Patreon Facebook group. It's a group made up largely of people on similar paths as mine, who are avid listeners of Dan's show. A group of us connected on Zoom earlier this year, and we all shared our various faith journeys and personal stories. Victoria is author of the book Redefining Job and the Conundrum of Suffering, and she offered this bit of perspective for me. Let let me say something, Ron, that might give you a slightly different perspective. Even if you resist the absolute conviction that the birth, life, and death of Jesus was all that Christianity has framed it to be. If we look at the divine and what makes the universe grow and create and change and do all the things that science does, I mean, I'm a big fan of science, not just a fan, I I, I mean, I, I read lots of science. And if you look at how the universe kind of works, It's not that hard to make the leap that somewhere in the core of it is something we might call love. Something that accumulates and that draws and that creates community so that other things can happen. And yes, sometimes things blow up, but in that process of blowing up, more things are created. So there's a process there that in some ways defines the action of love. If you're going to look at life of Christ, whether or not you're going to go through all of that, yes, indeed, he died and he rose and he did all these other little things. You can look at the life of Christ as a clear example of what it means to love as a human and say, this is what makes the world go round. 
compassion and understanding and, and wanting to help and alleviate suffering and eliminating borders and, and all of those things are what makes it all work. So whatever your religious consciousness is about who the man was or was not, you can look at his life and what he had to say as a pure example of what the underlying message is. As I continue down my journey of deconstruction, I don't think there's any easy answer to this question, what is the meaning of Christmas? But I can say this. Here's what I know is true. Christmas is a beautiful and wonderful season. Putting all the rampant commercialism and my cynical jokes aside, it's a time when people, for the most part, decide to be better versions of themselves. It's a time of beauty and family tradition. It's a time when we reflect on what's important to us and whether or not you identify as a follower of Jesus, Christmas can be a time for real meaningful connection to your fellow human beings. My dear friends and listeners, whichever phase of belief you find yourself this Christmas season, and whichever part of your own desert of disillusionment, my hope and prayer for you is that you find joy, peace, happiness, forgiveness, and most of all, love. I believe that whatever is the truth about Jesus and his birth and life, I do, at my core, believe that love is at the heart and that love has the power to make the magic of Christmas last all year round. You only have to let it in. The Dungeons and Directs podcast is a production of Blade Runner Media and Bonnie and Clyde Productions and is part of the Ebony Covering Black America podcast network. This episode was written, produced, hosted, and edited by Ron Dawson. Special thanks to my Black BFFs and podcast peeps, J.D. and Yolanda Cochran. No relation to Johnny. Audiogram production and editing by J.D. Cochran. Music used in this show was licensed from Artlist as well as Creative Commons songs from freemusicarchive.org. Joy to the world, the Lord is come. Let us... I want to give huge thanks to all my guests, Aaron Hubbard of Bald Move, the Reverend Dr. Robert Allen Turner, and Victoria Adams. A clip of Adam Ruins Christmas is from True TV. Check out the show notes for a link to all the resources Adam used for this Christmas episode. The clip from You Have Permission is copyright Dan Koch. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. It's definitely worth listening to. I have a link to the Virgin Birth episode in the show notes. The clip of Dr. Turner is from Vice's YouTube channel and their video, Recognize, Repent, and Repair, the Tulsa Massacre. The clip from A Charlie Brown Christmas is copyright of CBS. If you like our show, do all the podcasty things. You know, rate, review, share with your friends and family. Let us know what you think of the show. Shoot us an email at podcast at dungeonsanddurags.com. You can even send a voice memo if you like. Or leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts with your thoughts or stories, and we just may read it on the show too. 
You can follow me on Twitter at Blade Runner, that's Runner with an O, or on Instagram at Blurred Runner. I write about race, religion, creative arts, and business on Medium at rondawson.medium.com. You can follow JD on Twitter at that JD Cochran, and Yolanda is rat in a wheel with all the words separated by underscores. And yes, she still refuses to change her Twitter handle. Of the world this is our last show of 2021. We'll be back next year, aka two weeks, with another deep, funny, introspective look at being black in America. That's it for now. Stay safe out there and remember, having white privilege is not bad, denying it is. And in the absence of biblical certainty, choose love. Merry Christmas, happy Kwanzaa. Happy belated Hanukkah, happy holidays, happy new year, all the happies. Until next time, see you next year. Mm -hmm.